Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. Relationships that we have, each and every relationship that we have, is an opportunity to either glorify the name of Christ by responding to relationships in a spirit-filled way or shaming the name of Christ by responding in a natural way, fleshly way, right? Have you ever had to go to court because of a legal problem with another person? Today, we live in a very litigious culture. It seems like everybody is suing somebody over something. But what if it's a person in the church? What if some type of legal issue arises between brothers and sisters in Christ? Should it be different? Let's see if the Bible renders a verdict on that question, shall we? There's no way. If I've got a legal issue with somebody else in the church, there's no way. It's not, it's not practical to think that that can be settled in the church. Listen, whether it's practical or not, you can decide for yourself, but I'm telling you it's biblical. And more important, it's imperative that we work our messes out when messes come to exist, whether they be legal or anything else for that matter. It's important that we work those things out. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. Today, as we continue in our series through the books of 1st and 2nd Corinthians, we come to 1st Corinthians chapter 6, and the very first part of this chapter deals with a subject that is very common in our day and age, lawsuits. It seems that members of the body of Christ in Corinth were taking each other to court over various issues. The question is, should we do that as followers of Jesus Christ? If I could uh, outwardly express what you might think would be the Apostle Paul's mindset, during this, I'm sure it had to be something like, oh brother, here we go again. I cannot believe that they are actually doing this. I cannot believe that they're actually taking each other to court over stuff. Not surprisingly, the Apostle Paul has some very straightforward words for the church in Corinth and for us in the church today. Now, here's Pastor Clay. You know, it, it is this thing, this thing that we call the body of Christ, the, the church, it is so unique. It is so unlike anything else in the world. I mean, think about it. We are different people with different backgrounds, different uh, age groups, different ethnicities, Different interests, different hobbies, different likes, different dislikes, different uh, educations, different uh, places that we grew up. There, there are so many differences uh, in this room, even right now, within our, our backgrounds. And yet this, this, this thing coming together and operating as one, being this, this, this eclectic mix of people that the ancients called the ecclesia, the called out ones, the assembly, the church, the ecclesia. That's what, that's what you and I are. We are, should be this, this beautiful thing, this body of Christ, this beautiful thing that is intended to engage the world around us and advance advance the gospel, the, the, the good news of the kingdom of God. It, it is this, this place that should be this place of, of love and comfort and security. But because we are this 
eclectic mix of people, there is also potential for misunderstanding, disagreements, conflict, division within the body of Christ. Now, if cross-culture church is the only church you've ever known, which would be true uh, for some of our children, for sure, and some of you that have come to Christ under this ministry, if cross-culture church is the only church that you have ever known, then words like division and conflict and strife within the context of of church, uh, those words would seem strange to you. Because one of the things that that we have attempted to do here, one of the things that has made this, this local body unique is the fact that, that we've never really experienced conflict or division or strife within this local body. Not, not really. Yeah, amen. And, and, and you need to understand, if cross-culture is the only church you've ever known, and I'm not tooting our heart, we're not perfect, I'm just telling you, if this is the only church you've ever known, you may not understand that that is not necessarily the way it is in a lot of churches. There is an old joke that says, uh, I went to a fight and a church business meeting broke out. <laughs> Meaning that uh, too often churches are known more for their fighting and less for their uniting. And what is demonstrated to the world outside of these doors is anything but unity. It goes without saying, but that is not what God intends for His church. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1-11. through 11. Does any one of you, when he has a case against his neighbor, dare to go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? If the world is judged by you, are you not competent to constitute the smallest law courts? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more matters of this life? So, if you have law courts dealing with matters of this life, do you appoint them as judges who are of no account in the church? I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not among you one wise man who will be able to decide between his brethren? But brother goes to law with brother, and that before unbelievers. Actually, then, it is already a defeat for you, that you have lawsuits with one another. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? On the contrary, you yourselves wrong and defraud. You do this even to your brethren. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. Father, today, as we dive into these first 11 verses of chapter 6, as we continue to make our way on this Crossroads series, discovering truths 
from the Apostle Paul's letters to the church in Corinth. It was a mess in Corinth, but our own lives can be messes at times, Lord God. It was a mess in that church, but churches can be messes sometimes, Lord God. Because churches are full of people. People who are imperfect, people who fail, people who give in to temptation, people who at times act anything but Christ-like. Forgive us and teach us so that we would be more and more like our Savior, the Lord Jesus, and less and less like the person we were before we came to know Him. Each person where they are in their life right now, Lord God, whatever's going on in their life, would you meet them right now through the truth of your word and make application so that we leave here not only having honored you, but helped ourselves along the way. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's some ideas to share with you this morning. Here's the first one. Family messes should be handled by family members. I won't read verses 1 through 6 again uh, right now. I just read that a few moments ago. But family messes should be handled by family members. If you've been in this series, then you've heard me say this before, but this is another example where the Apostle Paul starts out, and, and clearly in chapter 6 he's moving into a new, a new arena that he's dealing with. Obviously, in the context, and you were able to pick that up as you read it, he's dealing with, with lawsuits within the body of Christ. People were suing each other over different things. Talk about that in just a moment. But he's clearly moving into a new area of discussion. And as he has done on a couple of different occasions, he starts out using a very strong word that has very strong application in, in Greek, in the original language that the New Testament was written in. Tolma. He starts out tolma. It's translated as, as dare. You'll see it there in verse 1. But in the original Greek text, it's the first word in the, in the sentence, the first word in the Greek sentence, which the Greeks would do to, uh, to show emphasis, emphasis of a thought that they were, that they were trying to, to make. He's emphasizing dare. How, essentially, how dare you? As uh, Paige Patterson says in his commentary on this, it indicates certain astonishment on the part of the apostle that the Corinthian Christians would apparently presume to go to the civil courts in matters of dispute. If I could, if I could uh, maybe outwardly express what you might think would be the Apostle Paul's mindset during this. I'm sure it had to be something like, oh brother, here we go again. I cannot believe that they are actually doing this. I cannot believe that they're actually taking each other to court over stuff. That sentiment, and I, I don't know whether it's actually what he thought, but if I was him, that's what I'd be thinking. But, but, I, but, but one of the things we've seen as we've made our way through this series is that seems to be the kind of sentiment, the kind of thought that the Apostle Paul seemed to have a lot about the church in Corinth. Oh, brother, here they go again. I can't believe that what they're doing this. I can't believe the direction that they're going. I can't believe they're actually taking each other to court over things. As I said a moment ago, we're supposed to be this beautiful, united thing, right? But because we're different, because we're eclectic, there is potential for for misunderstanding and, and hurt feelings and they didn't do this or why did they do that or why, what did she mean by this or how come that or, or whatever. And it, and, it can, and it can cause friction and it clearly was causing friction. Now, we've already seen that there's all types of, all kinds of conflict going on in the church in Corinth. This certainly wasn't helping. But if you think about it, that's kind of life in general, isn't it? 
life, uh, relationships. Now, in this context, we're about relationship between believer and believer. But just relationships in general, whether it's your spouse, whether it's your children, whether it's a coworker, whether it's a fellow believer, whether it's a neighbor, relationships that we have, each and every relationship that we have is an opportunity to either glorify the name of Christ by responding to relationships in a spirit-filled way or shaming the name of Christ by responding in a natural way, fleshly way, right? We don't know. Paul doesn't tell us specifically what they were suing each other over, what they were taking each other to court for. He doesn't say specifically. It's a pretty safe bet that it had something to do with money, right? Would you figure? It's a pretty safe bet that it had something to do with, with, with business transactions, financial uh, transactions, maybe loaning each other money, maybe purchasing something from someone else. Uh, had something to do with business transactions that were taking place within the body, which, by the way, I have always, uh, have, have always promoted. I believe within the body of Christ, if, there's, if there are people within the body of Christ that, that have a certain uh, service that, that we need, somebody needs to have employed, I've always believed that the body of Christ should do business with the body of Christ wherever possible and help each other out and support each other. If you need to purchase a cake, have a cake bake and purchase a cake, I think you ought to hire Ashley Vaughn. If, if you need a travel agent, I think you ought to go to Ernie Breedlove. If you need a, a, a voiceover done, I think you ought to hire Rick Freeman. If you need your hair cut or styled, I think you ought to go to my daughter-in-law, Lauren. If you need, and, and there's others, we could, we could go on and on. I've always believed that within the body, that if there are people that have certain plumber, electric, whatever, that if there's a need that I have, that if at all possible, I should do business with them. But it creates the opportunity for something to go wrong, doesn't it? Now, if talking about that makes you think, exactly. That's exactly why I don't do business with church folks. Church is church. Business is business. I do not mix those two. I understand that. But I just want to ask you a question. Do you really think that that's how God would have us interact with each other? By avoiding any, any interaction that might be potential for conflict? Do you really think that that's how God is glorified? Through us avoiding working with each other rather than, than, than supporting each other and working through differences that might exist? I'm, I'm just thinking, you know, I, I just think that, that this, is, this, is, this is what we're supposed to be, this thing called the body of Christ. I think it's how we ought to, ought to treat each other and be in this relationship with each other. But I realize that when we do and we engage each other and, and we say, hey, uh, uh, Mr. Joe the electrician, can you come over and do this? Uh, you know, I'm... I understand it. It's, it, there's potential there for that. Now, if you're sitting there thinking, there is no way. There, there, there is no way that you, can, that you can handle legal issues within the church. You're saying church messes ought to be handled by church, the church members. There's no way. If I've got a legal issue with somebody else in the church, there's no way. It's not, it's not practical to think that that can be settled in the church. Listen, whether it's practical or not, you can decide for yourself, but I'm telling you it's biblical. I, I don't think you could argue that it's not biblical. And, and more important, it, it's, it's imperative. It's imperative 
that we work our messes out when messes come to exist within our, whether they be legal or anything else for that matter. But in this context, legal issues, it's important that we work those things out. Now, let me give you a couple of reasons why. Here, here's the first one. Quite honestly, we're more qualified to judge justly than the world. That's what Paul says there. We're more qualified to judge justly. Do you not know? That's a phrase Paul uses a lot. Six times in this chapter alone. Do you not know? I will. Thank you. The first part of verse uh, 6. Verse 6, verse A. Uh, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Verse 3A. First part of verse 3. Do you not know that we shall judge angels? Now, just exactly what all it means to say that we will judge the world, we will judge angels, I don't know that we can fully know exactly what all that means. I think we can definitively say that it does not mean that you and I get to decide who goes there and who goes there. And you'll notice that the Apostle Paul does not take time to explain it either. Because that's not really the point he's making. He's not trying to get into this, whatever all it may mean to say that we'll judge the world, we'll judge angels, there's some ideas on that and thoughts about that. But that's not the point. The point he's making is that if we are part of the body of Christ, if we're truly born again, and we have the Spirit of God operating within us. And if we have the responsibility to someday judge in spiritual matters, then surely we've got what it takes to judge in material uh, matters here and now. Surely if we've got this responsibility someday, we can handle anything that comes up down here. That's what he's saying. Is that we, we, We've got to be able to, to do this. We're the most qualified to do it. And it's interesting because you may remember this. Back in chapter 4, Paul was bringing some pretty hard words down on the church. And then it's, he kind of stopped for a second back there in chapter 4. And he says, now, now I'm, not, I'm not saying this to shame you. And he goes on and explains. But here in chapter 6, that is apparently exactly what he intended to do. Let me read verse 5 to you again, uh, this time from the New Living Translation. I'm saying this to shame you. Isn't there anyone in all the church who is wise enough to decide these issues? Let me paraphrase for you. Are you kidding me? You're telling me that after all that I've tried to pour into you and the policies have tried to pour into you, after all that we've tried to do here, after the studies and the teachings and all that kind of stuff, you're telling me there's not one person in the whole midst of the whole group of you, not one person that can fairly and justly and accurately judge uh, and make determinations on decisions between the two of you or, or issues that come up between you. Tell me there's not one person that can do that in the entire body of Christ. Shame on you. This actually may be the world's first recorded body shaming incident. I don't mean that he's shaming the way they look. He's shaming the way they act. Shame on you. You can't settle this among yourselves. You've got to take this out to judge Judy. No, we're the most qualified to do this. That's... That's why we ought to be able to do it. We ought to be the most qualified. We have the Spirit of God in us. Hopefully we've grown in our relationship with Him, our understanding of Him. Uh, we're operating with, with grace and peace and patience and kindness and all that kind of stuff that the Spirit of God produces in us. Let me give you another reason why it's absolutely imperative that we handle family messes within the family. Here, here's the second one. Christ won't be glorified in the world. If we don't handle this among ourselves, Christ will not be glorified in the world. That's what he's saying. Look at verse 6 again when he says... But brother, instead, but brother goes to law with brother, and that before unbelievers. 
bad enough that you're suing each other, that you're upset with each other, that you've got financial da whatever between yourselves, but you're taking it out to unbelievers. Tell me, please tell me, please explain to me how God can be glorified when you're going out to the public court and saying, he, he didn't pay me for this, or, or she took that, or, or whatever else. You understand? Christ won't be glorified, folks. And, and ultimately, in our lives, this is about the glory of God. It's not, it's not about us. I'll get more to that in just a moment. You know, I've actually seen uh, some churches, I've actually seen some written up. Some churches actually have, as part of their membership covenant, they have a, a uh, legal settling-ish aspect to it where, where members of the church sign a document stating that if there ever arises any type of legal conflict between them and another member of the church, that they will take it before an arbitration team in the church or some type of leadership within the church and they will abide by the ruling of that arbitration team whatever they decide. There's actually churches that have that in their, in their membership covenant. Now, I don't know whether something like that necessarily needs to be in a membership covenant, but I do know this. I know family messes ought to be handled by the family. It ought to be settled in-house, not in the courthouse, and not on Facebook or anywhere else. Let me give you an example. Now, this might seem like a silly example, but as I've said uh, in this series, most church messes are over something silly. Let's say that I go through Ernie Breedlove and his travel agency, Daisy B. Travel. I go through Daisy B. Travel to book a cruise for my wife and I to go on. My wife loves cruises. I love my wife. Ernie books a cruise. And let's say that in the promotional material that Ernie gave to me, there was some little write-up about, imagine coming back to your cabin every evening to mints on your bed, right there beside the towel that looks like a swan tonight and a monkey tomorrow night and a turtle the next night. But for whatever reason, when we go on the cruise, there are no mints on my bed. Maybe, maybe the sh- ship forgot to order them, maybe the monkey ate them, I don't know, but there's no mints on my bed every night when I go back to my cabin. When I get home from my cruise, I email Daisy B. Travel to inform them that I am expecting a full refund for the cost of my cruise because there were no mints on my pillow at night. Ernie informs me that he's he's very sorry uh, about that, but he can't give me my money back because he was simply the agent through which the money traveled. It, the, the money went to the, the cruise line. There's not really anything about it. I inform Ernie that he is the one that I worked through. He's the one that handed me the promotional material that clearly said and showed something about mints on my bed every night. And since those mints were not on my bed, when it said that they would be there, thereby implying a, a contractual obligation, since they were not there, therefore Ernie owes me a full refund. Like I said, that may seem silly to you, but I'm pretty sure people have taken other people to court over sillier things than that. But at some point, right, whether it is a church arbitration team or a pastor or another elder, whether it's a life group leader, whether it's just some mature believer in the church, somebody has got to step forward and say, now wait a minute, Clay. Ernie Breedlove is your brother in Christ. And if you take him to court, you could ruin his business. 
Now, you know full well that Ernie had no control over whether mints could be on your pillow or not. You know that. And everybody and their brother has seen your wife's Facebook pictures of the cruise. And I got to tell you, you didn't look like you were hurting standing in the, in the midnight buffet with a plate full of shrimp. So, Clay, we're pretty sure that not having mints on your bed each night did not ruin your entire cruise. Now, Ernie has graciously offered to buy you an entire bag of Andy's mints. Now, you need to drop this thing because, because he's your brother in Christ and because God will be, not be glorified if you shame his name by taking this out into the courts. Family messes should be handled by family members. Yeah, you just, you just got to work it out. Listen, here's another one. And, that, and that's like, oh, you cannot settle legal issues in the church. Hold on. Here's the second one. Family messes can be avoided through a sacrificial approach. Watch this. Let me read it again. Verse 7. Actually, then, it is already a defeat for you that you have lawsuits with one another. Why not rather be wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? Paul says, within the body of Christ, if you've got issues, if something comes up and it has something to do with, with they were supposed to do that or they didn't do that or you thought this, you've you got to handle it within the family. But if you can't handle it within the family, if you think that's too much, just take the loss. Just take the loss. Yeah, just take the loss. Just be defrauded. Just lose out. If you have to take your brother or sister to Christ, in Christ to the court, you've already lost no matter what the court rules. So just take the loss. Like I said, if the idea of trying to settle legal issues within the church, in the church, if, 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 that, if that sounds insane, and it does to the world, right? And I've said this several times in this series, that's why you have to decide, where does my truth come from? Where do I establish my truth? What is my truth? Because this sounds insane to the world to say, you know what, you could settle it among yourselves. You could, get a, you could get another brother or sister in Christ to, to basically rule on, on y'all's disagreement over this. And you could settle this thing. Or if you couldn't, you could just walk away and take the loss. See, it's, it's a sacrificial approach to life in the body of Christ. Now the world would say, who in the world would do that? Why would you ever let someone take advantage of you? Why would you ever let somebody get the best of you? Let me tell you when you will do that. Let me give you a couple of reasons when you'll be ready to do that, to just, I'll just take the loss. It'd be better to take the loss than to, than to defame the name of Christ. Here's when you'll be willing to do that. When we really understand that it's all dust and rust. You'll be able to take a loss. You'll be able to say, you know what, whatever. When you, when you really understand that it's all dust and rust. I mean, it, it really is. There is, this, there is this law in science. It's known as the second law of thermodynamics. It's also sometimes referred to as the law of entropy. Everything in the universe falls under this. It's not a theory. This is an accepted fact in the natural world. The second law of thermodynamics or the, or the law of entropy, which basically means that everything in the universe is, is winding up, using up, winding down. Everything in, in the universe is. In science, it's called the second law of thermodynamics. In theological circles, we refer to it as the, as the sin curse. It's the same thing. 
but it basically means that everything in the universe, ladies and gentlemen, is turning to dust or rust. Everything is eventually wearing out, and it's all, it's all dust and rust. Now listen, there's balance here, right? There's balance here. We, we, we ought to take care of our stuff. We ought, to, we ought to be grateful for what we have, and we ought to be the best caretakers we can of our stuff. We ought to take care of our bodies. We ought to change the oil in our cars. It's okay to lock your doors. We, we ought to value the stuff that we have, and we ought to take care of it to the best, as, uh, to the best of our ability. It's, it's okay to, uh, to keep things clean. It's okay to keep your office at a, at, a, at a perfect humidity level for the good of your guitars. It's okay to do that kind of stuff. There's a balance there. I understand that. We ought, to, we ought to take care of the stuff that we have, but we also have to learn, maybe I'll put it this way, we have to learn to hold on to our stuff loosely. Loosely. Because in the end, it's all just dust and rust. And when, when I really understand that, that all of this someday is going away, either through natural processes or through the judgment of God, Second Peter chapter 3, uh, verse 10, maybe you've read this, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. The old earth, God's going to make a, a, a new creation, but this, this, is, this is where it's headed, which is why... <laughs> Which is why Jesus is always trying to get this one life principle across to us. Maybe you've read it too. Matthew chapter 6. Uh, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, living out the reality of that, right? It's all, it's all dust and rust. Here's, a, here's another reason that we'll do it. When we really believe that Christ is enough. I mean, when we really believe that Christ is enough. When we really believe it and we don't just quote that verse that we're always so fond of quoting, but when we really believe that He is enough, we can really say with the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 4, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. <laughs> almost everybody I know knows Philippians 4.13. But is he really enough? You know when you'll know whether he's really enough or not? When you're in a situation like that with a brother or sister, a spouse or whatever, and you can say, you know what? I can let it go. It's okay. Sure, they, they got 20 bucks up on me, but I can, I can let it go. Now, living out the reality of that, Galatians 2.20, you know it, but here it is. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. That's why he's enough. He lives in me now. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. This is, a, this is a, a mental decision that Paul is making. Obviously, he's still physically alive, but he says from now on, I'm going to live as if I'm dead and Christ is living through me. And when you get to that place, that's when Christ really is enough. And all the stuff of the world just... You know what I'm saying? So... If Ashley Vaughn makes me a cake and uh, she brings it 
to me. I had it made for Cindy's birthday, and she brings it to me, and uh, it arrives on time. And I'm like, oh, Ashley, so sorry. I left my wallet in my other pants. <laughs> I left my wallet in my other pants. I, I'll catch you. I'll catch you Sunday. And Sunday comes, and Sunday goes, and I don't pay her. And another Sunday comes, another Sunday goes, and I don't pay her. Does does she have the the right to say, Pastor, you know, what's up? <laughs> Absolutely she has that right. She better. I'm just saying, okay, you know, didn't make itself. Absolutely she has that right. Let's say I say, well, yeah, I know, but you know, actually, I, it just wasn't that good. I, we didn't really like it that much. It wasn't that, wasn't that good. You know what, actually, probably, she'd probably say, oh, okay, I'm so sorry. Just give it back to me and I'll, I'll, I'll make a whole new one for you. Well, we ate it. I mean, we ate it. But... <laughs> You know, what, you know what Paul's saying here? That, that she, t- you know, you, you owe me X amount of dollars and I don't pay? You, you, know what, you know what he's saying here? Ashley, let it go. Take the loss. Eat the loss. Pun intended. Now, two things are going to happen. I, I just believe. I just believe this is how it's going to happen. I'm not getting away with that. So, I, I don't know how. I don't know where. Somewhere. God's going to get that $42 out of me or whatever it is, Right? I'll have six flat tires next week. Or, I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you, I've, I've done this long enough, this Jesus thing long enough to know that, and Ashley Vaughn has honored God by taking a loss, which means she'll never take a loss. God will honor her for that. You Family messes, if you got to, just take on a sacrificial attitude. Just take the loss. One more, real quickly. And it's just... We've got to get to it. Family messes ought to be rare if we really are part of the family of God. Now watch this. This is, a, this is an interesting kind of a transition taking place here. He's, he's moving into the second part, which you'll see uh, next time uh, we do this. Uh, he's moving into the second part of chapter 6, which deals with moral behavior of followers of Jesus Christ. But he's also bridging it to, the, to what he's been talking about uh, in this idea of the, the, the dif- differences between the people in the church, the lawsuits that were going on. So uh, listen to what he says, uh, beginning, where am I beginning? In, uh, in verse 8. On the contrary, you yourselves wrong and defraud. You do this even to your brethren. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, let me just stop here. Are those members of the church, are they... Of the unrighteous, in other words, are they not actually part of the body of Christ, even though they're attending church on Sunday? Are they not truly born again? I don't know. I know they're acting unrighteous. And so Paul's just kind of reminding them, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. It's quite the list, isn't it? It's quite the list. Fornicators. Those having a sexual relationship that are not in a marital relationship. Let me just spell it out for you. Someone sexually active who's not married. Idolaters, those that make 
something or someone the most important thing in their life over God. That essentially makes it an idol. Adulterers. Those who are sexually active with someone who is married and or they are married. Effeminate. Malakoi in the Greek. From malakos, meaning soft or soft to the touch. In classical Greek, it referred to a man who acted more feminine, a man who acted more like a woman and who was a willing participant in a homosexual relationship but took on the role of of the more passive one in the relationship. Homosexuals. Arsenicoit. It's a compound noun. Arsen, male or man. Coit, bed. Quite literally, a man who lies with or goes to bed with another man. Paul continues. Thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers. Basically someone that that would be abusive, particularly with their speech. Swindlers, which may be a direct reference to some of the things that were going on there in Corinth. This is not, by the way, an exhaustive list of sins that that will keep a person from going to heaven. And it also is not Paul's way of trying to say that anybody that is guilty of those sins will never uh, see the gates of heaven for themselves. He's actually saying exactly the opposite, isn't he? And such were some of you. You bring it up, please, Tyler. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. Notice the past tense emphasis. This is who you used to be. This is what you used to do. This is how you used to act. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified. In other words, you're, hey, Corinthian church, you're not the same people. You're not supposed to be the same people that you once were. And thereby, if I'm not the same person, if I don't act the same way I used to, if I don't make decisions in my flesh, but instead now I'm letting the Spirit of God lead me, then you know what? Then messes will be rare between us. We, we won't have much junk. We may have some junk, but they'll be rare because we're not the people that we used to be before we were justified, before we were washed. And now God has changed us and is in the process even of changing us. Listen, I, I, I'm going to close. If we had a device that let us see every person in here, to see every person's past, Every person's decisions, every person's actions that they have made in their life. I, I don't know how many of Paul's sins would not be seen, but I bet it wouldn't be many. And there wouldn't be any without sin of some shape, form, or fashion. But such were some of you. But such were some of us. But we were washed But we were justified. We were cleansed. We were redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ and the power of the Spirit of our God. We're not the same. Believers are not perfect. Believers can still fall uh, victim to temptation. 
We can still act out in the flesh. We can still make mistakes. But because of the power of the Spirit of God dwelling in us, if we're truly born again of the body, we're truly part of the body of Christ, then there will be this transformation taking place. We will not be the same as we used to be. And therefore, the things about ourselves we'll be able to handle. The, the, the differences, the aggravations, the just plain out weirdness that we all can be at times. We'll be able to take those things and receive them and deal with them within, within ourselves. And when we can't, we can just walk away and take the loss. Because that's who we are. We're this unique, eclectic mix that the ancients called the ecclesia, the called out ones, the assembly, the church. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their life feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting? If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get It from Clay Stevens? They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable for every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice real. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where they will find what they're searching for. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculture.church. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. Cross Culture Church, a new church for people like you, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.